Guys, I have to confess today that I am a skeptical person by nature. I, I just am. I, I don't know why. My dad is not. My dad is like the most optimistic, trusting person in the world. My mom's got a little bit of it, but I give her a hard time. She's really not that skeptical, but I am. I confess, I drive onto a car lot, and we're looking for a car, and I drove there looking for a car, and a guy comes out to talk to me, and I think, what's your angle? Immediately, you know, and I'm thinking, you're taking advantage of me. I'm trying to give you popcorn. That's it, really. You know, I, or I struggle sometimes when I think about, you know, uh, um, go, when I go to the doctor, and he tells me what's wrong with me, and I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are any of y'all like that? I mean, like, I... I, I was at, really, I had a dentist appointment this last week. I've had this one tooth that's been bothering me for like a long time, and they've tried to fix it like three times now. And every time I go, I'm, I'm like, are you sure it's not like something else? You know, no, I'm sure. I'm skeptical that way. Uh, I'm skeptical about preachers. I have to confess, when I hear preachers, hey, wait a minute. When I, <laughs> when I hear preachers or I listen to preachers, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, what's the story behind the story here? I know it's kind of ironic, but I am. I'm, I'm skeptical of those guys. I, I, I really have it bad. The other day, uh, a, a girl came by my door in a Girl Scout uniform selling cookies, and I was thinking, are you really a Girl Scout? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Sometimes I have doubts. I do. Uh, spiritually, there are times in my life that I have questions as well. Sunday nights, we used to take questions at one of my former churches, and they would drop uh, questions in a hat. I'd pull them out, and I'd answer them, and really nothing was uh, off limits. They could ask about faith. They could ask about the Bible. They could ask about our church. They could ask about my personal life, and I would try to share, and they really enjoyed trying to stump the preacher, and so they started calling it Stump the Preacher, and then they started calling it the Stumpy Preacher, and I really didn't like that. But needless to say, I, I would still answer the questions. And near the end one evening, a person spoke up. They didn't ask a question. They said, Nick, Pastor Nick, when I listen to you speak, you always seem to speak with such certainty, like you know it. Do you ever doubt? And I replied really quickly, absolutely I doubt. I, I don't talk about my doubts very much, but, but I deal with doubt just like everybody else. After the service, an elderly, godly man came up to me and he said, I'm a little uncomfortable by your answer. I, I, I'm not comfortable with, with, with your, your answer. Do you really doubt? And I said, I, I probably have a little bit of doubt every single day. Guys, I don't know if a person can be a Christian without having a little bit of struggle with doubt. Because faith requires doubt in order to be faith. If you arrive at a place where all your doubts are gone and all your questions are answered, you need to take a deep breath and relax because you're probably in heaven. You know. But in this doubt, we have in this life, we have, we have doubt. Uh, but we don't talk about it very much, do we? Because in church, it's taboo. It's not okay to talk about doubts in, in, in church because we come together and how you doing fine and we put on our nice stuff and we look good and everything's together and all is in order and we're expo- that's the way it's supposed to be. But in reality, that's not where we live. And because we never deal with it and we pretend like it's not there, 
Young people go off to college where they're bombarded with a constant barrage of doubt and cynicism toward the Christian faith. But because we don't talk about it, we, we just kind of hope they come out on the other end. Or the parents who have lost a child probably at times have doubted God's goodness. But they know how uncomfortable discussion on doubt makes us, so they just suppress that. Or a teenager struggles with their salvation. You know, I was just a kid when I made a decision, and I don't know if I was, knew what I was doing or not. And we don't allow that freedom to talk, and so it gets pushed down. Or maybe even as a senior adult, you, you deal with the inevitability of your health failing. And you feel abandoned at times in your head. Now, believe me, I'm not advocating doubt. The Bible doesn't advocate doubt. Uh, the Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And God gives generously to the one who will ask. He doesn't criticize. He gives it to them. And then it goes in the next verse to say, Ask in faith, don't doubt, for the doubter is like a surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And we understand that feeling of being tossed back and forth. But the Bible also recognizes that sometimes we struggle with doubt. And so Jude says to the church in Jude 22, Have mercy on those who doubt. Well, today we're going to have a little mercy on those who doubt because we're going to talk openly about it, okay, uh, and try to work through. We're going to talk about why doubts enter in and, and how we can deal with those doubts when, when they do. The first thing we're going to talk about this morning is, is the form doubt takes. Sometimes doubt is purely intellectual. You know, it's, it, this is the type of doubt that most of the time is found outside the church, it is a doubt that asks, is the Bible really the Word of God? Is Jesus really God's Son? It's the type of doubt that says, did he really rise from the dead? That doesn't happen every day, are you sure? These doubts are raised in movies like Da Vinci Code, and they're raised by men like Bill Maher, who's kind of like an apostle of atheism right now. Or they're, they're brought up with issues raised by men like Stephen Hawking. And, and this intellectual doubt, uh, but that's probably not where most of us are here. I would say our doubts are on a different level in here, and it's probably more of a spiritual doubt here. Where, where, we, where we doubt, you know, am I really a Christian? Have I truly believed? Why is it so hard to pray? Why do I still feel guilty? If I'm really saved, how come I still struggle with some of the same sins that I struggled with a long time ago? Now, those are the type of doubts that creep in a lot of times into Christians. And, and truthfully, the biggest form of doubt is circumstantial doubt. It is that, that doubt of Dealing with all of the whys in life. Why did my child die? Why did my marriage break up? Why can't I find a husband? Why did my friend betray me? Where was God when my uncle was abusing me? Now that's where a lot of doubts come into our life. Uh, I, now, I've met a few people who seem to have no trouble believing it, even in the worst of times, and their faith seems strong, and they've got it all together. And I've met some other people over here who seem to just wallow in doubt all the time, and they're constantly back and forth in doubt. I've met those folks on the extreme, but most of us live between the 10-yard lines, you know, and we live in that 
moving in and out of doubt. You know, we have moments where we doubt, moments where we've got it together, but we live kind of in that moving in and out. And I guess in that way, the disciple Thomas was like most of us. Uh, There were times when it was easy for him to believe, and there were other times that he got tripped up. Now, we really don't know much about Thomas. Um, He's only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. We don't know anything about where he comes from or what he did. The only biographical clue we have is in his name. Uh, Thomas was called Didymus, your Bible might say. But the word Thomas in Aramaic means twin. And the word Didymus in Greek means twin. So they were trying to emphasize something there when they said Thomas called Didymus. He was Thomas who had the nickname of the twin. But we don't know him as twin, do we? We know him as Doubting Thomas. Wow. You know, that's a shame too, really. Because wouldn't you hate for your entire life to be summarized by your worst moment? LD, you remember your worst moment in life? You know? Chad, you can remember those worst moments? A lot of them. (laughs) Wouldn't you hate... Wouldn't you hate when your eulogy is given for someone to stand up and say, let me tell you about the worst moment of his life. But yet that's Thomas. We remember him as doubting Thomas because in his worst moment, he, he suffered from a case of the I don't knows. And it's a real shame because the other time that Thomas is mentioned in the Scripture, he's not an I don't know guy at all. It's found in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is about to die. The disciples are a little iffy on going to where Lazarus is at because they tried to kill him the last time he was there. And so they said, you know, maybe this is not a good idea. And Jesus said, okay, we'll wait a while. He waits so long that Lazarus dies. Then Jesus says, we need to go to see our friend. We need to go to Bethany. Well, the disciples are saying, this is crazy. Why wouldn't we have gone before? Why would we go now? But then Thomas speaks up, who's called the twin, and he says, all right, guys, let's go with him. If he's going to die, we're going to die too. Thomas is really saying, he'll die over my dead body. That doesn't sound like a doubter, does it? That sounds like a guy who's got it together at least some of the time. And that's the Thomas we're introduced to in the Scripture. But even bold Thomas, this, if they kill him, they got to kill me. Thomas, when faced with the crucifixion, starts to wilt. He didn't know what to do with that. What do you do when the Lord is crucified? Last week we talked about how... um, Jesus shared hard words, and all the disciples started to flee. And he turns to the twelve and says, Do you guys want to go as well? And Peter says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And then on the night before Jesus was to be crucified, if you remember, he tells the twelve, Y'all are going to leave. You will leave. And Peter speaks up and says, I won't leave. Even if everybody else leaves you, I won't leave you. And sure enough, before the rooster crowed, you know the story. They all flee, and only brave women have the courage enough to go to the tomb on Sunday morning to anoint his dead body. 
And when they get there, they find the stone is rolled away. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It must have been time change Sunday. She goes to the tomb <laughs> while it's still dark. And, and, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she goes to Simon Peter. And she says to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Now we know the rest of the story. He meets them, Peter and, and some of the other disciples, he meets them. But the rest of the disciples go home again. And while they're gathered together, the Bible teaches that in the evening on that first day of the week, the disciples gathered together are behind closed doors. They're locked in because they're afraid of what the Jews might do to them. If they crucify Jesus, what will they do to us? And Jesus came and stood among them, and they said to Peter, uh, and he said to, uh, to them, excuse me, peace to you. And having said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But Thomas wasn't present. Thomas, called the twin, wasn't with them. And then verse 25 says, The disciples kept telling him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We have seen him, Thomas. We, we saw him. We, we know he's alive, Thomas. He, he really is alive. And Thomas speaks up and says, hey, Wait a minute. Let's just stop this conversation right here. Unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. That's where he was. That I will never believe. What changed? And because that's a big change, isn't it? I'm willing to die with the guy to I cannot believe. What happened? Well, I think he doubted the same reason we do. I think he had unmet expectations. You know, I... Uh, I think a part of his struggle that, that this is not how things were supposed to go down. We talked about Malachi. In Malachi, they prophesied a Messiah would come. Last week, Jesus shows that he's this awesome, powerful Messiah through the, th through the multiplying of the loaves and the fish. But Messiahs don't get crucified. That's not how this is supposed to work. Guys, that's the same reason we doubt. How things are supposed to work don't work. And when that intersection of supposed to and not going to happens, it gets complicated. You get a bad report from the doctor. Your kids have left the faith even though you raised them in church. You're tithing faithfully and the factory shuts down. That's not what you expect from God. And, and it leads you to where are you, God? And it leads you to, are you God? And these things set in. And, and then you, you're talking about doubts amplified when pain accompanies that unmet expectation. Pain is hindering Thomas's faith and it hinders our. Have you ever been so down? In so much pain that even things that bring you joy seem blah. Ever been there? You know, you, 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 
something's going on, and that friend who every time they called, let's go to lunch, yeah, let's go to lunch, that's so fun, you start planning your day around that. Or that buddy who likes to play golf with you is in town, and, and you're thinking, man, I can't wait to go out, I'm looking forward to it, and you start practicing a couple days before because of that, and he calls and says, hey, let's go play golf, and you go, yeah, well, I don't know. Are you K's on TV, and you know how that lifts your spirit when they're on TV on the championship game on Sunday in the SEC tournament? You know how that lifts your spirits? But when you're really in pain, it's just like, who cares? It's hard to have hope in great pain. And maybe this is why Thomas said, I just can't believe. I think another reason he was struggling is he was absent from the group. Uh, there are basically two ways people deal with kind of hardship in life. They run away from people or they run to people. Some people run to people and they need to talk it out and they need to have people around them. Some people isolate themselves and apparently this is what Thomas does because when the group's together, he's not there. And the problem was is when you get isolated from the group, then it's tough to work through your doubts. Another problem I think that Thomas faced is he was getting secondhand information. In John 20, again, verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were indoor again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, just even though the doors were locked, it tells us a little bit something about the resurrected body, okay? I'm, I'm not big into talking about things I don't understand completely, and I don't understand the resurrected body, but there is something about the resurrected body that's not hindered by space. You know, he, he shows up even though the doors are locked. I don't understand that completely, uh, but there he is, and he speaks peace to them. Uh, and then he said to Thomas, it's almost like the Lord was listening when Thomas was speaking, almost like he knows everything about our thoughts. He says, Thomas, here you go. Thomas, Go ahead. Man, I love, I, I, I love how Thomas responds. Thomas says in the next verse, my Lord and my God. And that's just beautiful to me. He goes from this, I don't know, to my Lord and my God. And Jesus looks at him and says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe. And then he says, but how much more blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they still believe. Yeah, that's us, guys. We haven't seen, and yet we believe. Now, what do you do if you're there? And if we move in and out of it, that means you get there sometimes. What do we do if you get to that place of moving from, I'll die with you, Jesus, to I just don't get it, Jesus? What do you do? Well, let me give you some advice. The first thing I would tell you is admit your doubts and ask for help. That's what Thomas does. He didn't pretend that everything was great. He was honest. He said, guys, I don't get it. And let me let you in on a little secret. God's not fragile. You know, he, he, he can handle your doubts, your fears, your worries, your unanswered questions. He's a great big God. He runs the universe without any of your help. And your doubts aren't going to tip the apple cart. Tell him your doubts, cry out, and ask him for help. And I think at this point, it, it helps us to, to, to realize something, that, that, that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And we have to acknowledge that. 
Doubt is saying, I'm struggling believing. I can't believe. I'm struggling here. Unbelief is saying, I won't believe. That's a big difference. One is saying, I don't get it. The other is saying, I don't want to get it. One is saying, I don't understand. One is saying, that's not an option. There's a big difference between those two. Here's what I've found in life. What you believe has a lot to do with what you want to believe. Let me illustrate. I heard this years ago. A buddy's out on a Friday at night and he sees five friends who are behaving badly and they're just out and they've got car keys and he says, I can't let y'all drive. He piles them all into his car. He takes them home. After he drops them off, he gets stopped for a traffic ticket by a law officer. The law officer notices a funny smell from his friends who had just been dropped off in the vehicle. They search his vehicle and they find a bag of marijuana under the passenger seat. He he tells them, it's not mine, I don't know how it got there, da-da-da-da-da. Who's more likely to believe his story? The policeman, a judge, or his mama? Well, mama's more likely to believe his story because she loves him and she knows his character. And and she, 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 she wants to believe him. Now, admittedly, mama's also the most likely to be wrong, but mama is the most likely to believe him because she wanted to. Well, then I would advise number two, if you struggle with doubt, determine that you want to know the truth. You know, just do you want to know? Thomas wanted to believe in the resurrection. He wasn't skeptical because he wanted to appear more intellectual than the others. He wasn't skeptical because he he didn't want Jesus to come back. He would have loved nothing more than the fact that Jesus was alive. But it just seemed impossible. And so he wanted to know. A third piece of advice I would give you if you're struggling with doubts, put yourself in a place of discovery. It's all right to doubt, but don't let doubts keep you away. If you're trying to determine the validity of God's goodness, if you're trying to figure out if he's real or not, if you're trying to determine whether or not the gospel is true, do you think you're going to help yourself by staying away? You're going to get a one-sided story. Everything around us and outside of us projects that God's not true, God's not real, God's not... You know, you listen to your favorite TV show. See what view they're advocating. Listen to the pundits on TV. If you want to hear God's version of the story, I would encourage you to be around God's people. Do you want to know the truth? Matthew eighteen twenty says, for where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus said, I'll show up. Kent kind of referenced it today when he was singing, or right before Chris sang, he said, Brother, you thought you were preparing this for something else, but you were preparing this for me. Sometimes God speaks to you through a song Kent sings. Sometimes God speaks to you through a conversation you have in the hallway. Sometimes God speaks to you through a message on Sundays uh, at the sermon time. But when you show up, I just believe that God shows up in our midst and he speaks. You know, 
I would encourage you not to fight the battle of faith alone. Go to a Christian friend, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, anyone with strong faith and godly insight, and ask them to walk with you as you face your doubts honestly. And, and I would encourage you, sometimes you're just going to have to borrow the faith of others. You know, that sometimes you're just going to have to lean into their faith. You're walking in the dark. And this is a phrase I heard years ago, and I don't know where I heard it, but I'll share it with you. Don't doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Right? I was driving up here this morning, and it was crazy foggy. Crazy foggy. And I wasn't crazy early because of the time change. And so I couldn't really back off driving the speed limit to get here and be here ready to preach. It was just the way it was. And so I'm driving and I'm on Interstate 75 coming up from Lexington and you get between Corinth and Williamstown and there's a couple of curves that I knew were there, but I didn't see them. Well, I didn't see them. So I said, well, these curves aren't there anymore. I'm just going to keep driving straight. Well, no, I knew what was coming up. Because I'd been there before when I could see. Guys, sometimes in your faith walk, you're going to get to those moments in the dark where you don't know how to handle that next turn. You can't see it. You don't know what to do. But God has been with you before. Trust Him. I would encourage you to act on what you know is true, not on a momentary doubt. This is what Noah did when... He built the ark. This is what Abraham did when he left Ur and then offered Isaac. This is what Moses did when he marched through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is what David did when he killed Goliath. And this is what Joshua did when he marched around Jericho. Don't you think that all of those heroes of the faith had doubts? Let me tell you, I've always imagined this scene with Jericho. You know, Joshua and Jericho. Y'all know what the plan to defeat this mighty city of Jericho was? I tell you, here we, here we go, guys. He gets the leaders together, and Joshua's in the huddle as the quarterback. All right, here's what we're going to do, guys. All right, what is it, Joshua? We're going to walk around the city. We're going to what? We're going to walk around the city. Okay, what else are we going to do? Oh, yeah, 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 I get it. There's more. And then we're going to scream real loud. <laughs> That'll do it. I'm telling you, that's nuts. Do you think they had some doubts? Sure they did, but God had spoken to Joshua. Joshua had led them before. Because Joshua had spoken, because, uh, because God had spoken to Joshua, because jo- Joshua had been faithful before, the people acted on what they already knew. Joshua's a man of God. Joshua's a good leader. We're going to follow. God spoke to We're going to follow, and they did it. And guess what? God showed up. You follow in the dark what you don't. Or you follow in the dark what you know is true in the light. Then I would encourage you. Last thing. When you get in that bad place, hit the reset button and go back to a moment of certainty. For me, this is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. When you're at a place of doubt, go back to a moment of certainty. How how many of y'all... Still balance your checkbooks. All right. Well, mo- how many of you have no idea what I mean when I say balance your checkbooks? <laughs> yeah, fair, because all y'all who are under about 25, all you've ever known is keeping up every day on the internet to watch what goes through and what hits and what doesn't. I get it. I understand. I'm old enough to remember balancing my checkbook. 
we balanced it all the time because you would write checks, send them out there, and people might wait five, six months before they'd cash them, and you didn't know what you had, so you had to make sure that your checkbook balanced. Well, sometimes you would get that statement from the bank, and you would sit down, and you would work, and you would sit down and work and look through your notes, and you couldn't get it to balance. What did you do when you couldn't get your checkbook to balance that month? You went back to a month when you knew it was right. You went back to a time where you knew it was balanced. That's what I would encourage you to do in your faith walk. When you're getting out of balance, I encourage you to go back to a moment when you know it's right. I love the story of Paul in the New Testament. Paul's the guy who gets drastically converted like the guy Chris was talking about today. And man, his life gets upside down. You would think everything would go well, but he gets stones thrown at him. He's left for dead. He's drug out of cities. He's shipwrecked, floating in the ocean. And then just to show that I love you, Paul, I'm going to let you sit in jail. And he's sitting there in jail. And my goodness, I'm sure doubts probably crept in. And Paul pins these words, sitting in jail toward the end of his life. He says, I know whom I have believed. I like that tense of that. Because wouldn't it have made sense for Paul to say, I know the one I believe in right now? It's almost like he had to go back to a point where he said, I know whom I put my faith in. I know that moment I have believed, I did believe, and I'm persuaded I'm confident that he's able to keep that which I've committed. Let me finish the story of Thomas. We don't know this to be fact, but church history tells us as a possibility that Thomas went to India. If you go to India, there's many shrines to the apostle Thomas uh, because he was supposedly the first one who took the gospel to India. Um, Church history tells us that Thomas was martyred for his faith in India. What a shame that all we ever remember is that worst moment. God worked in powerful, powerful ways. And he said to Thomas, Yeah, you're blessed because you've seen me. And he says to us, You'll be blessed if you believe even though you haven't. Could you believe? Do you have a moment to go back to? Are you willing for God to move in your life? Will you open yourself up to faith? Will you? Do you have that moment? Will you open yourself up? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share today. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time of, of reflection. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to, to trust you in the dark because we know you've been faithful in the light. God, I ask that you would increase the faith of your people here at Burlington. Bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand in just a second and have a time of decision. You are welcome today to come and take communion if you'd like. You're welcome to do that. You're also welcome today to come to the altar and pray.
truthfully, some of our innermost struggles, we don't know how to talk except just alone to God. And if you want to do that, you can. If you'd like for somebody to pray with you, uh, there are deacons here who would be glad to pray with you. If you'd like for someone to, to, to just share uh, in a time of praying for you and your struggles. Maybe you're here and you'd like to join the church. We'd be glad to tell you how you could do that. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus and you really don't have a moment to go back to. I listed off some of my moments in the earlier service that I go back to when I struggle. I might not know everything about today, but you can't tell me God wasn't real in that day. And so I go back to that balance point. If you don't have that today, I'd love to tell you how you could start a relationship with Jesus. And I just believe he's so good that he'll honor your desire to know him, that he'll come in and fill your life with light and give you enough certainty to hold on and bless you because you believe. Maybe you heard, Dan, you've never been baptized. Uh, How we make commitments to baptize someone is someone can come forward at a service and say, I want to be baptized, and the next week or the week after, they'd be baptized, or uh, catch one of us after, one of the staff members afterwards, and we'll be glad to talk to you about baptism. But maybe you need to respond in faith because you know God's been faithful.